leading us in worship together. Guys? Darren, are you uh, training your replacement? You're training your replacement and Mikey's replacement? Gentlemen, thank you for your leading the song today. Last week, we talked a little bit about the needs of church. And I made a statement that I want to uh, restate this week. We were talking about the fact that uh, sometimes we feel like there's something missing. Something missing in our lives, our spiritual lives, our personal lives, something missing in the church. Something's just not right. You know what it is, or you know what it feels like, but you can't always tell what it is. There's a, there's a piece, a gap, something that we just don't feel. It doesn't feel right. You walk into a situation sometimes, you go, man, there's something wrong here. There's just something weird about this. It doesn't feel right. And we talked a bit last week about those things, and I made this statement. I said, the church is the sum of the actions of the believers. The church is the sum of the actions of the family. And I, I appreciated Henry's prayer this morning, drawing attention to the fact that the world is a mess. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's kind of crazy out there. And it seems to just be crazier and crazier as we, uh, as we follow along, as we kind of look at it. It seems the church's influence in the world is slipping, doesn't it? The impact of, of uh, the values of church seem to be drifting away and seem to be going away. Um, we, uh, we have a tendency to long for the good old days when it gets like this. I think the folks who are living in the good old days might say, well, we weren't that good. But we have a tendency to look back at the past and say, well, you know, it was better then, it was better then, it was better then. I would say, if the signs of the world crumbling are truly the signs of the end, the best days are ahead. I know you've read Revelation, and particularly after about chapter 14, it gets scary. It's supposed to. And it's only scary for one reason, and that is to get you to take seriously what it's saying. That's all, really. It's just saying, hey... This is what life looks like if you're not in the hands of Jesus. If, if chapter 7, you were not sealed by the seal of God, then chapter 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 are scary. And what Revelation is really saying is don't be caught in there without Jesus. And so I just would say for all of us, that is the most significant element of the it that we're talking about. Do you, have you committed yourself completely to Jesus? Um, Brendan and I were reading a devotional. I'll bring this up again probably in about six months at Easter. But Brendan and I were reading a devotional last night. She was reading the devotional to me, actually. And one of the comments made by the, by the author was just, he was just talking about the fact that at the cross, when Jesus could not see what was ahead, when he could not understand why God had forsaken, why God had, just had left him. When he was truly blind to the actions of God, 
at that moment, he still says, into your hands, I commend my spirit. What does he say? I trust you. I cannot see and I don't understand what's going on right now, but I trust you. And if we as believers could follow in that one example, I can't always see what you're doing. I don't always understand, but I believe I can trust you. That to me is the foundational pillar of your faith. If it can stand there in the worst storm, you don't really have to worry about the world crumbling. If you got your hand firmly in the hand of Christ. So we talked a little bit about this from Revelation, and I just wanted to ask this next question. What's missing for me? If there's something in that list that we talked about, if there's some of that it that we don't feel, if, if your spiritual life is dragging a little bit right now, what's missing? What is the element that's missing for you? you sometimes we say, yeah, I still have faith. I still believe. I, I still strongly am committed to Jesus. And, I, and, and even though I can't see what's coming, even though I'm a little bit in the dark about some things, I still trust him. But I'm just not feeling it. You know what I'm saying? You ever use that term? I'm just not feeling it right now. I'm just not feeling it. Some Sabbath mornings I come here and I sit down in that front row and before the music starts, I'm just not feeling it. Usually by the time the music is finished, I'm okay. There's a few weeks when I've gotten up here and I just, I could really say, you know, pray because I'm just not feeling it. Maybe I should. Maybe I'm just too, uh, too afraid that you'll all get up and walk out if I said that some Sabbath morning. He's not feeling it. Leave quick. Find an exit. But all of us go through those times on the mountaintop, in the valley. What I want to talk to you today about are some things that can help sort of stabilize that. You don't have to be a spiritual manic depressive. You know? Oh, I'm there. Oh, I'm dying. Oh, I'm there. Oh, I'm dying. You don't have to be there where your spiritual life is moving like this all the time. We can even out some of that. What I want to talk to you about today are practices in the life of a believer that level some of that out. Okay? Practices in the life of the believer that level some of that out, and we're going to call it staying on the mountain. Staying on the mountain. The 11 disciples left Galilee going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So where are the disciples going after the crucifixion and the resurrection? They're going to Galilee. To where? The mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So did you realize Jesus made preparations for this? It's all right, guys. I'm, I'm here today, but I want you to meet me in Galilee on such and such a mountain, at such and such a place, okay? We don't know where this is. If we did, we'd probably have some church built up there. But he told them to go and meet me on a mountain. I have some things I want to share with you there. Go on top of the mountain. I want to talk to you. I love this passage for the last little line. Eleven disciples left Galilee going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. When they saw him, they worshipped him. They're on top of the mountain and Jesus appears and they worship him. And do you see the little caveat line that's on there? Aren't you glad that they're just as human as we are? 
The disciples are just as human as you and I. They saw him. They're on the mountain doing what he told them to do. They saw him show up, and some of them are still, "Ah, I don't know, this glorified body Jesus is different from the one I knew before. I don't know, it makes me a little nervous. I'm not sure. I don't know if that encourages you, but that encourages me so much. It encourages me that here are the disciples, the followers of Jesus, the guys who would establish the church, most of whom would die for their faith, standing on top of the mountain. Jesus appears and they're like, "Ah, I think that's him. I'm not really sure. But okay, I'm going to go with it. Just going to go with it. Some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven on earth. Therefore, do what? Therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, etc., 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 right? Therefore, go. This is one of those problems Christianity has. This has been the call of the Christian church from step one, from day one. Go meet me on the mountain. I have some things I want to share with you guys. And, oh, by the way, what he shared was, go. Okay, guys, go. And they did. If you start thinking about where they went, these disciples went all over the world. We were at Brenda and I had the, the blessing of being in India last year. We were in India at a place where one of these disciples traveled. Thomas, we believe, went all the way to India in a day when you were using your feet, the feet of an animal, or a very poorly constructed boat to get there. You realize the Phoenicians were building the first ships that were traveling like that, and they put ropes around the boat and kept tightening those ropes and cinching them up so the boat's boards wouldn't just come out. <laughs> Want to sail on one of those? Want to plan your next cruise to Alaska on one of those? Well, go tighten up the ship. It's leaking. So some guy goes up on the deck and starts cranking on this rope to try to make sure everything stays tight together. These were not the greatest of ships, but Thomas went all the way to India because he heard the word from Jesus Go. Paul goes all the way to Spain. Now, you know, for us today, that may not be that big a deal. You hop on a plane in Jerusalem, you're in Spain in a couple hours. But these guys are walking most of that distance. These guys are walking and taking ships most of that distance. It's a long, slow slog to get from Jerusalem to Spain. The gospel goes during that generation all the way to England. We don't know who took it there. We don't know who took it there, but we do know that a couple hundred years later, when the church thought it was arriving in England to establish faith, faith was already there. Christianity was already there a couple hundred years later. We don't know who got there in that first generation, but somebody crossed the Roman Empire going north and went out where the Romans were kind of nervous about being. Remember, they built Hadrian's Wall because England was so scary. though They didn't want the Scots and the Irish coming back down. And yet one of those disciples went all that way. They go into North Africa as far as the desert would let them. And they spread the gospel everywhere they could put their feet. Because Jesus said, go. And you and I are a direct link to somebody who went. You and I are a direct link to one of those disciples who listened to what Jesus said and went out and talked to our spiritual ancestor who talked to our spiritual ancestor who talked to our spiritual ancestor who talked to us. We are all direct direct link to that command. How are we doing with it? How are we doing with the call to go? What I want to talk to you about today, and what I think does smooth out the highs and lows in your spiritual life, is how to go about going.
how to go about going. Because we say go and we leave it kind of nebulous and we think, well, I don't know, should I, should I go to India? Is that what God wants me to do? Well, if he tells you to, yeah. But for most of us, he just wants us to go next door, walk across the lawn, walk across the room and shake hands with somebody. He just wants us to meet somebody in the grocery store and welcome them and talk to them. Brendan and I had the opportunity, we were sitting in church. It's a weird thing that happens to us. We weren't sitting in church, we were sitting in a, a restaurant and talking about church. And I was having a little bit of a discussion with my son, and we weren't agreeing on how things should go in church, necessarily. And we were going back and forth about this, and I didn't realize we were quite as loud as we might have been. And a couple ladies at the next table said, what church do you guys go to? Because you're kind of talking a lot about the sort of the inside stuff of church. What, do you, what church do you go to? And we had, what, probably about a 10-minute conversation with those, those folks. If you're here today, glad you're here. Come see me afterwards. Nice to have met you. But what does going look like for us? Here's what I think it is. Got it? If you get all that, I can just stop now. Know God's story. Listen for his voice. Live a celebration. Eat intentionally. Kind of surprised to see that one in there, aren't you? Bless somebody and find your rest in him. Know God's story. Do you know it? Have you read the scriptures? Are you in it daily? Are you, are you in there reading and studying what God is saying? Do you know what God's story is to you? Do you know the impact of God's story on your own life? Are you even following? Has God convicted you of something you should change? You've been blowing him off for weeks, months, or years? God's been saying, hey, you need to change the way you go about this. You need to change your, your life practice, your business practice, your marital practice. You need to change something about your life. And you're going, yeah, well, you know, I'm... Are you just blowing off God's story in your own life? We talked about, uh, about $5 or $100 faith last week. We talked about the fact that the, the preacher who was pre-preacher sitting in the church right after his conversion, God says, hey, give out that, the, all the money you have in your, in your wallet to that lady over there. He looks in his wallet, he's got five bucks, no problem. He gives it to her and transforms to what happened in her life that day. He didn't know it, but she didn't have money to go back home. She didn't have gas to get back home. Now, he didn't have money to go to lunch. And the Lord provided somebody who provided him, I think he said with seven or nine or something like that, dollars for lunch instead of five. He had $5 faith. Later, when his spiritual life was further along and he was a pastor of a church, he's sitting in the pew again, and the Lord says, give everything you have in your wallet to that lady over there. He looked in his wallet and he had 100 bucks. He decided God must be saying something else. And he didn't get up and he didn't give her the money, and so he knew where his faith stood. This week, a group in a, one, of the, one of our small group Bible study groups said, hey, can we challenge each other to at least listen strong enough and powerfully enough to have $5 faith? Just $5 faith. We're not even asking for $100 faith yet. Maybe if we can get to 5 we can get to 10 we can get to 15 we can move on up the ladder. Maybe we should just challenge each other to have $5 faith, to be listening to God and listening for his interaction in our story, where he's saying, hey, this is our story together. You know his voice, you know his story, you know his call, and he starts moving you. If you're not reading your Bible, if you're not studying, if you're not in the Word at all, you're probably not doing real well with this part, and you're probably feeling weak spiritually. Because a lot of strength and a lot of power, a lot of what God is trying to do in your life comes straight out of his Word. I understand. I go through dry, dry times in my spiritual life when the only study I'm getting is the study I'm doing to, to prepare for a sermon, to prepare for a presentation. But it is that very lifeblood of our spirituality 
that exists in the Word. Get in the Word. Even if you only need to go in 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I have the Bible on my, on my uh, phone. You can download Max McLean's Reading the Bible for free, and you can listen to Max all you want. I don't know how many chapters went through this morning as I was just preparing for the day, just listening to First Kings. There's lots and lots of ways you can do this, but know God's story. Be in the Word. Fill yourself up. If you're empty, there you have nothing to give. Fill yourself up and there will be opportunities presented to you by God to give to someone else. Know the story of God. Listen for His voice. Listen for His voice. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Listen for his voice. What is he calling you? What is he challenging you to do? Listening in the word as we just talked about. Being in the word, studying the word, listening to the word. You're kind of listening backwards, listening to the things written historically. Then you got to listen forward. You ought to be listening forward, listening for the community, listening in the community. Is there some conviction that God has given Carlene that I need to hear? Is there some conviction that God has given you that I need to hear? Is there some conviction someone else has that you need to hear? Are you open for that at all? Are you listening for that at all? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? It was the Holy Spirit who told Craig Rochelle to get up and give five bucks to that lady. It was the Spirit of God who said, all right, go up and do it. And it was his joy to experience what God wanted to have happen in his life because he stepped out and listened to the Spirit. So you know God's Word. You know God's story. You learn it and you understand it. And then you start listening for the Spirit's leadership in it. You start listening for his voice. You start listening through other people. You start listening for the Spirit. You start listening for what the Word is saying specifically to you. Listening for his voice, both backward and forward. Live a celebration. Live a celebration. Can all of you do an exercise for me? Everybody ready? Now I want you to do this and then I want to turn to your right and turn to your left for a face check on it. Okay? Everybody ready? This is the practice. Take these little sides of your mouth and push them outward. (laughs) Not with your fingers, with your actual mouth. Can you form a smile, a grin on your own little face? Now look left. This is my right, it's your left. And look right. How is everyone doing? Henry's having trouble. Do you realize that believers are actually supposed to have fun? Yeah, yeah. One of my friends, I mentioned this in the the second look class last last week. One of my friends went into a church and he changed their policy in that church. He said, this church will be from now on about food, fun, and fellowship. Sound like a church you want to go to? Yeah, a lot of people came to it because they were actually having a good time. They would do everything around food, fun, and fellowship. So if they had a committee meeting, there was food, there was fun, there was some fellowship time. And then if they got to the agenda, they got the agenda. What he told me was they usually got to the agenda and it went probably pretty quick because the fellowship and the connection time meant that everybody was united. They were in the spirit under God's leadership by the time they got to the agenda. And they were able to move along as God led. Food, fun, and fellowship. One of our committees here, um, I'll, I'll let the cat out of the bag. It's a worship committee. Now everybody wants to join it. They spend, their, they spend their time in food, fun, and fellowship along with their agenda. Committee's very healthy. Lots of good things happening in it. 
because they're doing these things that are celebratory. They're doing things that draw them together. Live a celebration. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. Do you believe that? So if you have something good, where'd you get it? Are you sure? Because some of you feel guilty about what God's been blessing you with. I got one, yeah. You know it's true. You know it's true. Some of us feel guilty when God blesses us. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. If you are being blessed, you are being blessed by God. If you are surrendering your life to Him and He's blessing you, great. He's blessing you. You know what you do when God blesses you? Celebrate and share. Celebrate. You know Christians should be having the most fun in the world? Are you? You know what? If your neighbors know nothing else about you, they should know that when they come over to your house, it's fun. We should be celebrating more. We should be going to parties. We should be doing things with people. Remember, this is how Jesus lived. Jesus did a lot of this kind of stuff. He engaged in people's lives all the time. You realize that the rhythm of the Jewish life is built around celebrations? When God set the activities of the church, he said, oh, wait, by the way, in the spring... When the barley harvest comes, you're going to have this big celebration. You're going to have food and family, and you're going to hang out together. It's going to be a great time. You're going to enjoy yourself. Here's what you're going to do, and you're going to be celebrating the fact that I will pass over those who ask for mercy and grace, who are covered by the blood. I will pass over and forgive those who deserve less but will get more. That's what you're going to celebrate. Oh, by the way, 50 days later... You're going to celebrate again at the Pentecost when the wheat harvest comes. You're going to celebrate the fact that I am your God who sustains you. And oh, then, by the way, when you get to like August, September, we're going to celebrate again. We're going to call it the Feast of Trumpets. It's going to come as we start harvesting in the summertime or at the end of the summertime. And we're going to be celebrating that time when I will rid the world of sin and when I cleanse the sanctuary from all sin. And in so doing, cleanse you from sin. We're going to have a great celebration during that time. Oh, and then, by the way, a little later in the fall, we're going to have what we call Sukkot, where you're going to go camping outside your own house. You're going to build a little, uh, build a little shelter out there. You're going to take your meals out there. Everybody's going to do it. It's going to be great fun. It's going to be a whole nation of camping. It's just be a food, fellowship, camping celebration. You're going to be celebrating the fact that I took you through the desert and that this is not your home. You're just passing through. Amen. What is God telling Israel? By the way, you know what you should be doing? Celebrating. And God is setting an agenda for celebration in Israel. How are we doing with it? Have the celebrations in your home been fun? Have they had any spiritual component? Has there been any motivation from the heart of God in the acts of your celebration? Live a celebration. Jesus died for you. You've been cleansed by the blood. His mercy was renewed for you this morning. Smiling, joyful, celebratory lives. That's what believers are supposed to be about. How are you doing with living a celebration? Are you known in your neighborhood as the sourpuss lady? You know, nobody steps on your lawn or lets their dog wander onto your lawn because if, something, if they do that, something terrible is going to happen. Some beast is going to come flying out through the door screaming bloody murder. Are you that lady? If you are, repent and be baptized. Because <laughs> that's not how it's supposed to work. 
It's not how it's supposed to work. You're supposed to be caring and loving and celebrating. It's supposed to be different at your house. When your grandkids come over, it's supposed to be fun there. It's supposed to be joyful there. It's supposed to be celebratory. This is my favorite. Eat intentionally. I like to eat. And I typically do it fairly intentionally. But I want to redefine it a little bit. First, I want to just remind you about Jesus eating intentionally. Remember, there's a short guy who couldn't see over the crowd. And so he went and climbed a tree. Jesus coming by, walks up to the tree. He looks up in the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest at your home today. Come down, I'm coming to your house. You know, you can invite people to your, to their, you can invite yourself to people's houses. Be careful, make sure that they know about this part. But here's what I want to say about eating intentionally. On the average week, you do it 21 times, right? You eat 21 times during most weeks, right? What if you took three of those times? I'm not asking for a lot. Take three of those times and eat with someone who is either looking for a relationship with God or whom you'd like to introduce with God or who you know is far away from God or who you might celebrate the the joy of being a follower of God. Take three of those meals and engage intentionally in the life of someone else. Invite them for a meal. Invite them to your house. You know, I wish that every Saturday you did this. I wish that every Sabbath we were fighting over each other to invite each other home. I think that would be a cool church. I think it would be a fun place to come. I think if you showed up here and you were a guest and, and there were like four people saying, Hey, please come to my house. Please, No, I'm a better cook than she is. Come to my house. We'll invite her over too. Wouldn't it be cool if that intentionality was just in this one day? And then two other days of the week. You could do it, or four other days of the week, you could do it with someone else. You do this 21 times. Take three, maybe four of those days, and eat intentionally with somebody else who you want to connect with, who you want to point towards God, who you want to pray with. Spend some time just talking with someone and sharing a meal, breaking bread. Eat with intentionality. Eat with a plan. You in for this? Does this look hard? It shouldn't be that hard. This is, this is something you're already doing. In fact, I, what I'm trying to show you are, are these things that God is calling you to do that keep you on the mountain to level out your spiritual life. They don't tend to be really difficult. They tend to be really great rhythms for life, actually. So whenever in a Seventh-day Adventist church you, said, you say eat intentionally, you think I'm going to immediately go to Leviticus. I'm not. I'm just saying eat with somebody else. Plan a meal that touches someone. Eat with intentionality. Bless somebody. It may be in that meal, and it may just be in some other way. Just as you, Judah, and Israel have been a curse among the nations. (sighs) Hope that's not true. Repent and be baptized if it is. So I will save you, and you will be a blessing. So I will save you, and you will be a blessing. Do not be afraid. 
Let your hands be strong. I will save you, and you will be a blessing. Imagine if you started your day saying, How could I bless someone today, Lord? What could I do to bless someone today? It might be with a word. I loved what Sheila said about, the, about earlier this morning. With those of you who missed it, she said you should text somebody in church today. And just, you know, text them and, and, and greet them and say, hey, man, you're, you're looking good today. Or, or text them and say, hello, I haven't seen you in a while. Just be a little blessing in someone's life. Just find a way to encourage. Give a word that lifts, a word that encourages. Or physically bless someone. This is a little more risky, and you might want to be careful who you do it with. But you could walk up, lay your hands on somebody, and pray for them. Imagine that in the grocery store. Walk in the aisles of Winco, blessing people. <laughs> Nobody would forget it. <laughs> Least of all you. But if that's what God asks you to do, if God, God says, hey, I want you to go and pray for that person, it's $5 faith at that moment, baby. Either you pay or you don't. Either you get engaged with the blessing or you don't. Either you experience what God is trying to do through you or you don't. You get to decide. What if we all started our day saying, Lord, how can I bless somebody today? How can I leave the person I deal with today in a better place when I walk away? I mean, it's simple. Smiling and kindness does most of it. I was driving uh, Brenda's car this week. Most of you know Brenda has a little tiny go-kart of a car. It's a Miata. And when I drive that thing, there are two things that are necessary. One, the roof has to be down because I'm kind of like this otherwise. It's also a lot more fun when the roof is down. And I usually drive it a little aggressively. (laughs) Whatever she calls it. (laughs) But I drive it a little aggressively, and I was going down Rockland Road. I turned on Rockland Road from Granite Drive. Caught first gear, second gear, third gear, fourth gear. Got to the roundabout. This little car loves to drive around corners. And so I didn't really slow down for the roundabout. I just zipped through the roundabout. It's a tiny car. It doesn't even take up half a lane. And I went to the next roundabout, and I'm not thinking about anybody around me. And I zipped through the next roundabout. And come to Rockland Road, there are three lanes when you get to the end of Rockland Road. And you have to get into the left-hand turn lane to go straight or to turn left. And if you're stuck in the right-hand lane, you end up having to go right because it's a forced turn at that point. And I was trying to move over, and I don't know whether I irritated the guy or if he was just as oblivious as I was, but there was a guy right next to me, and he wouldn't let me move over. And at the last minute, he shifted from the, from the middle lane all the way to the far left lane, and I went over with him so that I could make my turn. And I don't know what I did to the guy behind me. I'm not sure what he said or what I did, but he started honking. Green BMW. He lives up the street here somewhere because I saw him turn there. If it's you, would you come see me today? Because I really feel bad about this. And, I, and I, I'm in a convertible. I, you can see what I'm doing. So I, I pointed at the guy in front of me and I said, sorry, you know, he w- wouldn't let me over. So the guy pulled in next to me. I think maybe he thought I was saying, pull over here, I want to talk to you. <laughs> and honestly, I would have liked to talk to him. But he kept his windows up and all the things he shouted about me were within the glass of his own build, own little car 
And I tell you this story because I don't think I blessed him. I would love to have apologized to him. I would love to have tried to make that more right. The intention of blessing won't always be received. I will say two things about that incident. Number one, if I had been paying more attention, that would have been a better blessing. And number two, sometimes the blessing you were hoping to give isn't received. It doesn't stop you from your intention and shouldn't stop you from continuing in that intention. Bless somebody. Imagine what it would be like if 500 people started wandering around the community here blessing people. How cool would that be? Does this sound hard? That's what I'm trying to say. This is not hard stuff. You're already out there. You're already a smiling, nice person. Just extend that a little bit. And then the last one. Find your rest in him. I love what Hebrews does in the discussion of rest because Hebrews chapter 4 just, just puts the entirety of salvation and rest in the context of Sabbath. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. This one here, certainly, the Sabbath that is the day you rest on, but he extends that. He sees it as bigger than just a day you rest on. There remains, therefore, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from what? Not just their work, but their works. The apostle is saying that when you rest in God, when you fully trust in Him, when you can lean on Him completely and know that you're not earning salvation, you can rest from your works, not just your work. That in in the rest that is Sabbath, there's a statement about salvation that you lean into God and let Him rule, let Him lead, let Him be God. It's one of the great statements from, from, uh, from Judaism about the Sabbath. It's that one day a week when the people of God let God be God. It's the one day a week when we stop and we say, okay, I trust you to take care of the world while I check out today. And the call from Hebrews is to say, I trust you to cover my sin, to cover my life, to cover my walk. I believe that when you said you died for me, you meant it. When you said your blood cleansed me, you meant it. When you said your mercy was new this morning, you meant it. And I trust you for that. The reason I'm putting this one in here is because I think until we find that kind of rest, it's very difficult to bless. It's very difficult to celebrate. It's very difficult to engage. But I think if we do, we'll find the very answer we're looking for. Because I think the it that everyone is looking for, that powerful, transformative life, is just living a life out there, being available to God. Saying, I'm in for this, Lord, whatever it is. I'm okay to be a blessing to somebody today. I'm okay to touch somebody. Here I am. Use me. Here I am. Use me. And then this last one is sometimes seen as a threat. I don't want it to be a threat. I want it to be an encouragement. The measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So here's the encouragement. Big blessings. Big celebrations. Big outpourings of yourself for God. 
with the measure you use, God will pour it back to you. Jesus walked into the city of Nazareth. Hometown. Hometown boy returned. He'd been around the community doing amazing things. Down in Capernaum, just a few miles away, he had done transformative things in the lives of the people in that town. Dead were raised. People were healed just by touching his clothes. Amazing stuff was going on just a few miles away. He walked into Nazareth that day. And he went through the city and he attempted to help and he attempted to bless and he attempted to touch people. And the Bible says, very sadly, and he could not do very many miracles there for their lack of faith. They just didn't believe in him. They just didn't believe that he could bless. See, I don't think this is God threatening us. I think this is God saying, listen, there's a connection between what you're doing and blessing others and touching others and how much it's possible to bless you. Take a big risk and bless somebody with a big risk that I'm able to fulfill and strengthen and encourage that faith. Uh, pastor, I read the story of and I've heard preach, showed up at a church. He was a young Christian. He's brand new, barely, barely following God at all. And God said, hey, Craig, see that lady over there? Give her everything in your wallet. And Craig opened his wallet and there was five measly dollars. And he handed them over and God blessed her and God blessed him. And God continued to bless him throughout that day. And he's still telling the story 30 years later. And then after he was established in his faith and he'd been a believer, in fact, he was a pastor, he was in a church, and he was sitting in the pew, and God said, Hey, Craig, give that lady everything in your wallet. Craig opened his wallet and he saw a hundred bucks in his wallet. And he closed his wallet and put it in his pocket. And to this day, he questions what God had in mind. And he wonders what blessings God had in store. I don't know where you are. If God were to convict you, it's $100 faith day today. Could you do it? Some of you could. Some of you could do it without a question. Some of us, if God said it's $5 faith day today, we'd say, can we negotiate that a little? But here's what I think I understand from this. That the God of the universe is trying to bless you. And the bigger risk you take for him, the greater opportunity there is for blessing. Let's pray. Father, we want to follow Jesus, the big risk taker, really. And so today, we commit ourselves to being available for you. We commit ourselves to seeking an understanding of your story, your story in our life your story beyond our life. We commit ourselves to listening through your word, through others, through the Holy Spirit. 
We commit ourselves to living a life of blessing, celebration, intentionality. So that we might be available in season and out of season at the moment you wish for us to be available. We choose to do all of this because we believe we can trust you. Now, Lord, I pray that you will help us go. In Jesus' name.